Dee Dee Moonflyer here. Welcome to the Twilight Tonic Podcast. As always, I have a freshly brewed batch of the strange and unusual to share with you. So grab your favorite tonic, step in, and let's get started. Tonight on Twilight Tonic, I am very happy about this next guest. She has a great sense of humor um, and also has written an incredible book called Teaching the Living, From Heartbreak to Happiness and the Haunted Home. Her name is Morgan Knudsen, and she's done some incredible things. She is a co-creator and co-host of Supernatural Circumstances and has been featured and hosted on several TV specials, shows, and podcasts, including Travel Channel, CBC, Discovery, TLC, and more. She's also the co-founder of Entity Seek Paranormal Research and Teachings. How are you tonight, Morgan? I am good. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming on. Um, you wrote this incredible book with an incredible different insight to the paranormal. Thank you. And... What is your background? What what enticed you to start studying the paranormal? Oh gosh, you know it. It's funny. I th- I think it at the heart of the whole thing. I think it was a was a calling. Um, you know, my it, it's come down through the family ultimately. Like my great great grandfather mm-hmm. uh, was the president of one of the first parapsychological associations in Canada, and but I didn't know that when I started, mm-hmm. and it was something that I just. I, uh, when I, I had my first experience when I was really young and it was, I, I knew there was something special there and it was, it was something more than, you know, oh, I got, was, you know, frightened as a kid or, or something like that. There, there was something very special about it. And, and I think, um, that, that hooked me into asking some bigger questions. And as soon as I was able to, to do that and sort of find my way into, into the realm of the paranormal parapsychology academia side, um, it it was just, there were, there was just no turning back. Mm -hmm. Wow. So it's in your family and you didn't know it and it just came full circle. Tell us a little bit about your book. 
Thank you. Yeah. You know, it, it was funny because originally when the, the first edition came out about four or five years ago and it was just sort of a one-off, uh, you know, I wasn't intending to write anything long or anything like that. It was very, very simple. And when I, I wrote the first one, it was just kind of like a handbook for people that wanted to just sort of begin this stuff and, um, and step into it in a new light that would be empowering for them and, and to allow people to find their own joy with this stuff. And so when uh, Beyond the Fray Publishing got a hold of me to, to come out with the, the second edition, which was just out this year, um, it, it was funny because I went back on the book and realized just how deep um, the, the research could go and, and where I could take it. So I ended up putting in about another 150 pages of the book. <laughs> And, uh, it, you know, and, and, and shot the, the manuscript back to them. But um, it, the book itself was, is, is really meant to not only give uh, uh, an overview of, of some, some parapsychology work that I think people are just not familiar with, but mm-hmm. to get people to understand that there is a relationship between our emotional state of being and the, the, the non-physical world around us, no matter what area of your life you're, you're looking at. And that when people can get a grasp on how to manage that emotional state, how to manage their, their, their thoughts and realizing their thoughts are creating their reality, then it plays a massive role into the the role that, uh, and the, the relationship that you can have with, with non-physical. So that was the, the goal behind the book was to just get people back in the driver's seat. Exactly. Out of curiosity, before you even thought about writing this book, what were your experiences? What did you find that truly inspired you to write the book? I know you you studied cases, obviously. Um, How do people react when you walk into a place now and you try to explain to them? It's kind of like a law of attraction. Yeah. And I think for the most part, the majority of people, when they, when they, they get it, it clicks immediately because the one thing with this stuff is that once you see it, you can't unsee it anymore. Mm-hmm. And when you realize that there, that connection is within you as to the type of activity that you're getting, the type of, you know, whether you're getting stuff that's, that's super great and positive and, and, and vibrant, or you're getting stuff that's terrifying and violent. Um, when you realize that that emotional state is getting reflected back at you through mm-hmm. the, the things in your environment, you can't, you just can't unsee it. And then when you start to shift that emotional state and you realize that your environment and the activity is shifting with it, it you, you just can't deny it after that. So yeah. I, I think, I think most people look at it and are, it, it clicks with them. I, and I find the people who, who miss it or don't quite or, or can't quite put it together are the people who aren't ready to do that emotional work and do the hard work and to take a look at themselves. Though those are the people that struggle. And, and in that situation, it's just a matter of you got to wait till they're ready. Mm-hmm. So how many cases have you studied where you have convinced your clients this philosophy and has it oh, worked gosh. for them? Yeah, it's got to be, oh gosh, it's got to be hundreds now. Um, because I've been in this for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, it's been a really, it's, it's been a long time. So there's, there's been quite a, quite a lot, um, you know, and yeah, like the people, the, the people that can understand it and, and adopt it, uh, it's a hundred percent success rate every time. Um, but it really is up to them. 
and how far they want to take it and how far they want to, you know, invest in their own joy, really. Um, because there's a lot of people who really don't want to do that. They're very hung up on the the identity of either the victim or that this this world is asserting things on them. Um, and and that's it. And when you've got people in in that state of mind, it's either they're either not going to get it or it's going to take them a lot longer to get it. But it really depends on how how easily it is for them to take a look at their paradigms and start to change them. Right. Is it hard for them to realize that what they're dealing with is actually a human without the suit on? You know, I, I don't think it is. I mean, I think with, with a lot of people, they're, they're ready at this, at this point, by the time they get a hold of me, they're usually ready to accept <laughs> that there's something else going on other than our meat suit walking around. Um, I, you know, I think most of them are, are at that point. I, I think where people get hung up is when they, they realize that the reactions that they're getting from not only the people around them that are living, but the the non-physical that's around them is a direct reflection of their own state of being. And it's because it's so much easier to turn around and point a finger and say, mm-hmm. you know, well, this is my boss's fault, or this is, you know, my spouse's fault, or this is, you know, it's, it's so much easier to do that. So, um, I think a lot, if they're going to get hung up somewhere, that's usually where it is. You know, it's really interesting, you know, like spiritually speaking, why, what's the most common thing they say? Why does the paranormal happen to them? Yeah. You know, it's funny because a lot of, a lot of it is people getting hung up in the old tropes, um, you know, mm. that they've seen on television, the, you know, well, it's, this person must be angry and stuck somewhere or something like that. And there's, <laughs> there's no basis in parapsychology for that at all. And, and I think that's usually, usually what people are telling themselves. And often it's, it's just a, their way of interpreting what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, some people you get who are, are, um, are, are more apt to label it a religious phenomenon, um, you know, or, or karma or, or something like that. But very rarely do, do they see a connection with themselves and what's happening in the environment. It, it's usually a label that they've assigned to it. That's external. Gotcha. And I, I wonder too, because a lot of people are raised in a certain religious beliefs, obviously in this culture and I think it would be so easy for them to blame a dark side of things than to take a good look at themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, in those, in those areas, you know, oftentimes that is what's encouraged is that, you know, it is something outside of you that's, that's evil or dark. And, you know, what I've always told people is that there, there really is no dark switch when you turn it, when you walk into a room, there's, there's only a switch to turn the light on, Um, you know, and the rest is just the absence of light, but there is no dark switch to turn the dark on. And, uh, you know, and this, this stuff kind of works the same way where, you know, if you're, if, if you're in the room, there's only you cutting yourself off from that, from that light, from that abundance and that light. Um, But that work is yours you know, there, there really is no source of dark. Um, but you know, we sure know how to cut ourselves off from it uh, pretty yeah. well. <laughs> really <laughs> We're fast, really right? good at that. <laughs> yeah. This book is really in depth. If you, when I stop to think about it on a lot of things, 
Um, what do you feel is the most impactful concepts for you? I think one of the the biggest ones for me was uh, the research into the Philip experiment. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that experiment, which was done in Canada, so, so for the listeners, um, it was an experiment done by the Toronto Society of Psychical Research and uh, Mensa. And it was done in the 1970s where the, a, a group of them decided they wanted to see if it was possible to create a consciousness from thought. And something that was interactive, something that had an identity that could reply back to them, which was essentially a gigantic experiment in macro psychokinesis. Mm-hmm. But they decided that they were going to do this and they they created a character by the name of Philip who had never existed. There was never mm-hmm. anybody called Philip nothing. And they, they built his backstory from the ground up and they worked hard enough at this. And they used the old uh, practices of the Victorian seances as their, as their way of going about it. Mm-hmm. But they, they worked their focus to the point where when they added enough joy to the, the situation, they began to actually create a consciousness and, it was literally responding to them. It was moving furniture. It was physically interacting with them. It was answering questions. And Philip had never existed. This was something that was built out of pure thought. And they repeated the experiment again with a a character. They created brand new group of people um, that created a character called Lilith. And they Mm. were able to repeat the experiment without any problem. And I, for me, this was probably one of the most groundbreaking experiments in, in, Mm -hmm consciousness ever because here you've got the the grand debate as to whether or not consciousness is fundamental or emergent in in the environment and this was such a clear demonstration that here you had this consciousness that was clearly coming from somewhere and it wasn't from a brain Mm-hmm. It, this, you know, this thing never even had a brain. It was it, this, but it, here it is interacting and answering questions. And so for me, I think the Philip experiment was so poignant, so powerful because it was a direct reflection, not only of the people in the room, um, but it really went to show that we, we really can create with thought in a way that it is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. So what... With the creation, we can create something, an energy, obviously, ourselves. How about the energies that are out there that were once human? Yeah, and there it's it's a whole other another realm of of study. You know, there you've got the gotcha. you know the survival hypothesis because the survival hypothesis is that you know that that consciousness that is fundamental in the environment that that we translate through our brains. Once the brain dies, then that consciousness is still in existence. So not not only does the Philip experiment really support the fact that we are creating things and entities with our own thinking, but it also goes to show that it really doesn't need a brain to support it. Um, so it leans even more heavily towards, um, supporting the survival hypothesis, you know, anyway. Right. I like the part of the book, the difference between coping and healing. Yeah, that was a, uh, I think a needed chapter because, and I think it's, I think it might be more relevant now than it was when I wrote the thing. But, you know, it's, I really wanted to, to get people to understand the difference because, when you're you're coping with something it's it's still active within you it's still active within your vibrational state and you can still manifest from that state and when you're coping you're you're you you're basically white knuckling through life and that's not 
what we were intended for. We were intended for thriving. And, you know, when we're healing something, when we're moving through something, then, you know, you're, you're coping with those steps and, you know, you're moving along, but there's some progress. And I think people get often stuck in the idea that they're, they're coping and they're constantly healing from something, but there's not really any healing going on. They're just kind of stuck in this perpetual rut. So that was one of the things that I really wanted to illustrate because so many clients that I've run into over the years, uh, you know, they, they kind of put a happy face sticker on the empty gas gauge and they've just got no gas left. Right. And they're sitting there with a, you know, a smile on their face saying, no, I'm happy. Everything's great. And they're, they're not, they've got open wounds and they're bleeding everywhere mm-hmm. and they just don't see it. And, and because they're not making that separation to realize, no, 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 healing, healing has a, a, a point at the end of it. It, it has a, it has a, a finite point. Um, you know, and if you're just coping, there's a, there's, there, there's really no limit to coping and that's not good. Right. Yeah, exactly. You got to heal frequencies and emotion. I liked that as well, especially the part like my computer's dead. My grandma's dead. My relationship is dead. I have dead end job. I'm dead tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how many of us can relate everybody <laughs> at some Absolutely. point? But those frequently saying something over and over again can create chaos. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting about, about those, those statements is that whatever you finish the, the, the phrase I am with, you mm-hmm. are creating every time. If you, I am tired, well, guess what? You're tired. <laughs> you, you're tired. You are, <laughs> you are affirming that state. And I am you throughout history, no matter most of the texts that you can go back on throughout, throughout history mm-hmm. and, and, and whatnot, you know, I am is the creative statement and it is, it's the core of how we define who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so how we end that sentence is absolutely massive. And so many people have a whole bunch of I am's that they really don't want to be fulfilling because as soon as we start repeating that to ourselves, we believe ourselves, you know, no matter what we're telling ourselves, we tend to believe what we're saying to ourselves. And that's can be, it can be a really, really great thing if we're using that creative power deliberately, but if Mm -hmm. we're not, (laughs) you know, and you're finishing every single sentence with, Oh my God, I'm stupid. Or, Oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm so tired. Oh, I, you know, I'm never going to get this done. Uh, You know, I'm not going to do this. I am, you know, I'm calling myself names or or whatever they've got going on negatively, but we repeat those thoughts upwards of 40,000 times a day. Right. Um, And when we're sinking that into our, our synapses that are just, you know, firing like crazy, we're creating neural pathways and those neural pathways will, it changes how our physical body responds and therefore it has to change how our environment responds as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I believe that very, very much. Um, I think everyone, probably the OG 25 can totally relate to that. I would hope, um, I'm dyslexic and sometimes I will catch myself saying I'm stupid. Yeah. And it's so easy to do. I'm just, I have dyscalculia. So I'm on the other (laughs) end of that, (laughs) but you know, it is so easy to do because you know, it's something, especially if you're struggling with something like that, because it's so, Mm -hmm. it seems so simple and so basic when you've got 
everybody around you that's, that's able to do that thing. And I think for, you know, for people like us and, and for those out there who have the, who have, have similar challenges, uh, you know, we have to start to see that as, as an opportunity to change that dialogue. Yeah. Now I tell people I'm out of the box thinker. <laughs> that's good. I like that. <laughs> I'm a totally out of the box thinker. <laughs> And it works for me, being extremely creative. Um, yeah, your book is intense. I, I really love it. Thank you so much. And is there any client that is stuck in your brain for years, just one, that has made a huge impact on you? Yeah, I think, uh, actually, I'm, I'm actually still in touch with her and, um, it was, this was probably a good, oh boy, a good 15 years ago, at least, um, when I, when I first met her and, uh, she, she lived in Edmonton at the time. And, uh, she was in, when, when we went over to her place, uh, a really nasty relationship, the guy she was with was just a absolute loser. And, uh, when she was having trouble in, in the house, with this negative, basically it was like a negative thought form. Um, she, you know, she was in the same, in the same boat as a lot of people where she was going, how in the hell did I end up you know, in this situation where I've got this, you know, negative dude in my life. And he was even rude to us when we were there. I mean, this guy was wow. just a piece of work. And when, when we were talking with her, um, you know, and the more we saw this interaction, what was interesting was that the thought form that she had that had manifested mm -hmm. wasn't treating her really any better. I mean, it was a direct reflection of the abuse that was going on in the house. And so one of the first things that we did was we had her sit down and, and begin a journal and not to journal out the negative experiences and to, to grind them in and re rehearse them a million times. Mm -hmm. um, but to be able to use it as a mechanism to begin to let go and we, we taught her how to do that. We taught her how to, to do a gratitude journal. Cause I'm a really big, really big fan of gratitude journals. And, um, so, but when we explained the concepts to her, uh, she took it to heart, I think more than anybody I've ever met. And it clicked with her so quickly that within a week she had gotten out of the, the relationship that she was in because she knew she had to make massive changes. Mm -hmm. And she got out of the relationship she was in. She ended up moving out. And when she did that and she started to really journal and start to take a look at, at her life and what she wanted, she realized that she had dreams that she wasn't, she had just pushed under the rug. And so you had, she had all that festering that was going on. And as soon as she was able to let go of, of that relationship and then heal the wounds that it had created, the activity was gone within a week. And she ended up and is now living in the UK because that's mm -hmm. literally what she had wanted to do from the time she was a kid. Um, and she literally, she picked up quit her job and she ended up wow. moving to the UK. Yeah. And pursuing her, her passion there. And, uh, she, to this day is, is very happy over there and she's in a wonderful relationship and the, the activity has not come back. That's amazing. Yeah. She is a super special human being. I love that. Just how you can change and change your environment is amazing. And, and it takes it courage. Oh, change is hard and growth is hard. 
yeah, it takes courage. You know, it's, it's easy to, to sit and talk about it, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, when, when you're in that, you're in that rut and I think everybody at some point has been there. Um, it, you know, that rut is a real hard thing to be able to, to move from, right. and you've got to have either the, the strength and the insight and the power and the, the people around you to, to support you. But, um, ultimately it's, it really does come down to how badly do you want joy? Right. Exactly. Speaking of joy, I have to ask you one question that I'm very curious about. Why fire? You dance with fire, correct? <laughs> yeah. Oh I was, gosh. You know, it, it it, it's unbelievable. I danced for 30 years. I'm a retired dancer. And I saw you did fire. I was like, why fire? Yeah, I, I got into it years ago because a, a, a good friend of mine uh, is a, he's a he was a fire breather. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought what he was doing was amazing. And he offered to teach me. And I thought, yeah, like, I mean, you know, when else am I going to learn this? This is, this is really incredible, but it struck me as something that was really empowering. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this is something that I, I really want to understand and, and I want to do. So I, I began with fire breathing and, and whatnot, which was kind of just right out of the gate. Usually people don't start with that, mm-hmm. but um, I, I began there. And then I was, I was very fortunate to have a teacher from Australia come down and stay with me for about a week. And he's probably one of the best uh, fire performers and fire eaters in the world. And so I ended up training with him uh, for quite a while. And after that, I ended up picking up uh, the levy wand and learning, uh, learning more of incorporating more theatricals, uh, theatrical stuff and dance and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it, I don't know. There, there's something about it. I think that is so uh, reflective of mm. of the non physical energy around us. And fire is really a it's a dance partner. Yeah. You know, you never master it. You never ever master it. it it's going to do its own thing, and you've you've got to learn to to work with it. Um, but it is it's one of the most zen things that you can that you can get into. It, it makes you aware. It it keeps you centered and grounded because if you're not, then it'll mm. bite you. Um. So it's, it's very similar in, in a way, um, as to, to working with, with some of the negative entities that I have in the past as well, where there's, (laughs) there's, there's an intelligence there and there's, there's kind of a dance that you end up doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but at at the same time, you know, you can have this amazing relationship with, with non-physical in the same way that you do with fire. And it's, uh, and it's become a fantastic teacher for other people. I yeah, like in your book, you use it as an example of certain things, and I found it fascinating. And I was telling someone about your book the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, she really likes fire." I said, "That's a very strong element." It is, and it's it's so as I say, it's such a teacher. Um, It's it's something that, you know, you, you pick up and you have to, you have to know the science behind it. I mean, there's, there's really no magic involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all science, it's all fuels and understanding thermal lag and, and all sorts of things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a massive learning curve, but when you, when you get to the point where you're comfortable enough that you can begin to learn with it and you can dance with it and you you really do end up with this, this incredible teacher. So, and for, for me, when I take it to my lectures, because I'll often, I'll often demonstrate it with, 
within a lecture because I, I love the fact that it starts to change people's paradigms about uh-huh. things they've got a really strong paradigm <laughs> about, like fire burning you. Uh, but it, <laughs> using it in the lectures has been really helpful as well because it's such a great visual tool. Mm-hmm. You still there, Morgan? Yep. Oh, okay. Sometimes I have to, this will be edited out, but sometimes my Zoom will like cut out and we don't know why. So I wanted to double check. No worries. And with all of this going on in your life, the books, what is coming up next for you? I know you have another book coming out soon. Yeah. The, the gift of instinct um, is, is the next one. It'll be out in the summer. And um, it's, it's very different from, from teaching a living. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a, the, the 11, I think it's 11 lessons uh, 10 or 11 lessons that I've, I've learned uh, over the years from, uh, from doing this and lessons about tuning in with not only who you are, but understanding the, the giants of parapsychology and their own story and how the, this work is, is such a, a deep calling from I, what I think is consciousness um, for people to explore their own uh, their own way of being in the world and their own callings and their own uh, their own instinctual knowing that there's something more. Mm-hmm. And so the gift of instinct, I'm, I'm really excited about it because I, I think it's, it's going to lend some brand new insights for, for people when they read it. The, the stories are phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. So that's going to be coming out this summer as season four of haunted hospitals should be coming out soon. That's um, a fun uh, show. It is fun. It's, it's, it's fun. a it's a great show, and the people the people on it are just so, they're, they're such a great great group to work with. Um, so that should be coming out soon. Um, Supernatural circumstances, of course, is my podcast, and that's out biweekly on Mondays uh, with my my wonderful co host Mike Brown, mm-hmm. who's absolutely amazing. Um, and yeah, and then I've got a, a bunch of live shows that are always in the works. So sure. those are are coming out in the, you know, as, as the year rolls forward, but we've got some really, really cool live stuff coming up as well. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Ooh, they, these shows are a blast. Oh, they're a blast. Oh, I'm so, you know, I'm really glad I had this chance to chat with you. I know you're so busy. You're doing like so many things at one time. So I really want to. a little much. As long as you remember no, I, to rest. I'm always grateful to do it. <laughs> Just remember to take care of Morgan. Oh, it's, it, you know, it's, that's what that's what my little snake is for. That's what Galen's for. He's, he's my my little Zen master. That's always like, okay, mom. <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind is he? <laughs> he's a ball python. Oh, he's he, yeah. So he's pretty. a ball python. He's such a sweetheart, and he is he is just a my pride and joy. He's going to be 18 in June, oh, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's just phenomenal and he's he's just a he's so kind and he's so sweet and he's so unbelievably loving and patient. So he 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 keeps keeps me grounded and and reminds me to, you know, sit down and be like, "Hey, look. Yep. <laughs> this is what we're doing today, okay?" <laughs> well, you know what these animals are amazing teachers and they're amazing at telling us what we need. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Feed me and sit down. <laughs> yep. So, Morgan, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? The best place to go is my website, which is entityseeker.ca. 
And uh, that's literally got everything. There's there's my live shows there. There's my uh, my spiritual health care series. Uh, the, there's links to the podcast Supernatural Circumstances. Um, and keep and it'll keep you up to date. You can get the book there as well. And it basically is the the hub for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the you know the that's the best place to go. It's sort of the the end all be all. But I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all of those things yeah. as well. Well, Morgan, it has been a pleasure talking with you. And I want to thank you so much for taking your busy time to talk to me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. You too. Have a good night and get some rest this weekend. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Have a great night, Morgan. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.